Good evening. Glad to see everyone here this evening. I hope everyone has enjoyed the day so far. Glad to see everyone here. Look forward to this to going over the study tonight with you. Tonight we are um, continuing our study our, of the uh, full armor of God, or the whole armor of God, if you will. We uh, come to the first verse, or the first part of a verse here. It talks about the uh, girding yourself up with truth. Some people have, have deemed it the belt of truth. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be discussing tonight. Okay, yep. So having your... Loins girt about with truth. Um, and that is what we're going to be discussing tonight as we work through this. So first, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all that, to stand... Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the best the breastplate of righteousness. And so, I want to put that first part of that verse in there, so we understand that this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. This is not a political battle. This is not a battle won in the opinions of others, but it's one in the spirit, and it is a spiritual battle. The the term girt there used is not something necessarily we use every day. I don't ever think know if I. I probably said and looked at the word girt more preparing for this lesson than I had in the month beforehand. It's not really a term that we really use, but it means to bind up, to fasten to a garment with a girdle. And that's from Strong's, uh, Strong's word, Strong's number 4024, and it's Paris on Numi, uh, or something to that effect. But it means to, uh, to fasten the garments with the girdle. And so that's kind of what it means to, to girt. It means to, to bind up your clothes. And so we can look at some verses and kind of get an understanding of about what that kind of means in context. But we want to recognize that that's what this word is. It's a preparation of getting where to battle as they would girt up their clothing. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 10 it says, And ye shall... Let nothing of it remain until the morning, when this is talking about the eating of the Passover lamb. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn the fire, and ye shall, and thus ye shall eat it with your loins girded, and your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in a haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn land of Egypt, both male and beast, and against all the God of Egypt, and I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And so here you see that he tells them here that they're going to eat with their loins girded and their shoes on their feet and their staff in their hand, and they're going to eat it in haste. You know, it's probably their version of fast food, if you will, because they were ready to go. And that's part of having your loins girded. Having your loins girded means you are ready to go for action. You are ready to do work. And so when we think about this, and we can read another verse that talks about it as well, but when we start thinking about having our loins girded about with truth, we means we are ready for action with truth. We are caused from encumbrance from truth. We are using truth to keep us from being trapped in a snare or entangled and ready to go. It's ready for action. It's a way of getting dressed, ready to move and to go and to be action. It's just like having your shoes on and just having like your staff in your hand. It is to be ready for, to action. In 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 28, 
Then she said, Desire I, son of my Lord, and this is the Shumanite woman that we've talked about in the past, did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehaziah, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thy hand, and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. And if, thou, and if he salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother child said, as the Lord liveth, and thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And so here we see this, this Elisha sends this man, Gehaziah, on a mission. And he says, gird up your loins and take his staff because he had blessed that staff. And he says, don't stop for anybody, don't salute them, don't, don't do anything, but get there and lay this staff upon the face of that child because it was an urgent matter. The child was sick to death. And what we want to realize out of this portion of it is he had his loins girded because he was ready for action. He was ready to go. He was not entangled. It is a preparing yourself into a state of action. It's being free of encumbrances. It's being free of, of, uh, of hindrances, if you will. I have a little picture I found on the internet that shows how to girt your loins. It shows that he kind of pulls it up and ties it up there in a, in a bind in there that shows you kind of what that looks like, how your loins would be girded, how you would be prepared, how you, how you start off there with your, your tunic and then you wouldn't be ready to move and to have battle and free movement. And then you, you kind of tie it all up and then you're, you're ready to go. And you know, I guess it's something maybe the, the ladies are more understanding now than the men because we don't really wear tunics. We, ha we wear, you know, pants, but the women have dresses and you know, they can be a cumbersome sometimes to your movement. They can be a cumbersome sometimes to, to be. And that's what this was about. It was about the practicality of movement. Back to practicality of, of being ready. And so maybe we wouldn't say gird up our loins anymore because of the way we dress. But we would maybe say, you know, uh, take off your jacket or, or prepare to fight or get in a good stance or, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You, you see these people and they... Uh, they prepare, you know, I sometimes think back of this scene like you see it in, in, in TV shows and movies and two guys start fussing and are getting an argument. One of them stops and he takes off his coat or he takes off this so he gets ready to have that free motion so he can go to battle. And that's really what it means when he's saying to gird up your loins. It's saying prepare for action and use truth to prepare for your action. And you know that keeps you from getting entangled and that may not make sense, but if you think about it, if we don't have truth, we can get entangled within lies. And those lies will keep us from being able to properly function as a warrior of Christ. Properly do our duty. You know, my mom always said, and, and maybe I hopefully I can get this right, it says, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when once we start to deceive. Because lies and falsehoods will entangle us. Lies and falsehoods will trip us up and cause us to fail. It will cause us to not be able to do what we need to do. And so we get ready to engird ourselves with the loins, gird our loins with truth. It basically says use truth to make sure you're not entangled and not encumbered to do the task in front of you. Prepare for action because you have truth on your side. And do not bother, do not waste your time, do not be entangled with falsehood and lies. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 it says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceiveth the wicked, that a heart that deceiveth wicked imagination, deviseth, 
sorry, heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And so here we see that a lying tongue and a false witness are both listed. You know, he's kind of double downing on this idea that he hates lying. He hates it. It's an abomination unto him. He hates it. It was listed there twice on his list. Lying is not good. We should not lie. We should not tell falsehoods. We should only speak the truth. If we do lie, we are entangling ourselves and can no longer be an effective soldier for the Lord. We're like fighting with our, with our pants down, if you will. You're, you're trapped. You're caught up. You're entangled because of the lies. It trips you up. It allows you to be ineffective because you've been caught in a lie. And so we should strive from telling only the truth. We should not be one who's known to be a liar, but we should be a person who of our word and a truth teller. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. So we see here that righteous men hate lying. This is something that we would not do. In Proverbs 26 and verse 28, it says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. And so if you want to ask, well, what about a lie that hurt from somebody's feelings? This Proverbs 26 and 28 tells you. It says, a flattering tongue worketh ruin. And a lying tongue hateth those who are afflicted by it. Telling something, somebody something untrue because it makes them feel good is not good. Telling somebody something that is false so it doesn't hurt their feelings is not good. It is not the way we should be. We shouldn't tell people things that are untrue no matter what. Now, you hear the old question of the wife who says, oh honey, does, does this outfit look bad on me? You know, maybe you shouldn't ask that question if you don't want to hear the truth. Uh, but there's a kind way to say that. But the truth is the truth. And a flattering tongue does no good. And so you should be honest when all you said, the, the, the idea that I'm going to lie to spare somebody's feelings is not a biblical concept. It's not truth. We should always tell the truth. Ephesians 4 and verse 13, it says, Till we come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of the structure of fullness of Christ, that, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, and by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is ahead of even Christ. Just because we are to speak the truth does not give us a right to speak rudely. It does not give us a right to speak harsh words. Well, there's a way to deliver the truth and deliver it in love. And so it says the love and truth. It talks about don't being deceived, don't being fooled by the craftiness and slight of men, Hold to what is right, hold to what is true, but speak it in love. And so when we speak truth, we get to do it in love. It can't be an opportunity for us to lay down the law, hit somebody, you know, hammer somebody. You know, we, we sometimes get that idea, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna let him have it here with the truth. I'm gonna put him in his place. Well, that's not the truth in love. We have to be it within love. We have to be it in a teaching manner, in a manner in which we inform people of what is right for them, not in the form of people in a manner in which he's criticizing them and which is destructive unto them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets, 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistle? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruits, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So it's not just good enough for us to not tell a lie, but we need to not believe a lie. We need to not believe a lie. We need to recognize that there are people out there who are liars. There are people out there who are false prophets and false witnesses. And we don't need to fall for it. We need to judge people by their actions. Judge people by what they do and determine whether that person is speaking truth or not. Because we have a responsibility to seek out and find the truth. We have a responsibility to recognize what is true and beware of those false prophets because they're out there. But we can look. We have actions. We have deeds. And those deeds will tell you whether a person is telling the truth or not. Those deeds will tell a person is what they're doing God's will because we have God's word to determine what is right and what is wrong. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, and, it will, and with all deceivableness and of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they that receiveth not the love of the truth, they, that they may be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they shall believe a lie, and that they all may be damned who believeth not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if we don't have a love for the truth, even God will let us be deceived. He will send us the delusion because they had not the love for the truth. And so we need to have this love for the truth. We need to desire the truth and seek the truth. We need to recognize the importance of the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 it says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in these things which thou hast learned, and thou be assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And so he tells us there's going to be a time when people are going to get worse and worse and they're going to deceive each other and they're going to be deceived and they're going to seek to be deceived and they're getting this whole feedback of just deceiving each other because they get worse and worse and one person's going to deceive the other one. And so what they're doing is they're basically just building up their own disbelief, building, build, building up and encouraging each other in their lives. And it's important that we learn to seek the truth. But you know there's some say that the truth is subjective and cannot be known. You see an item like this and it says six and nine. It says, just because you're right does not mean I am wrong. Just because you just haven't seen life on my side. We've seen this concept. We've seen this item and I say, reject it. Reject it. There's truth. Truth can be found. Truth can be known. When I was in community college there, I was in a lot of organizations and I'd get to know one of the administrators. I was pretty friendly with this woman. We were on good terms. One of my classmates and friends said, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yes. And she goes, I don't like the woman. She's mean. She's terrible. I always thought the lady to be a friend. Thought she'd be a fairly easy person to get along with. Was either one of us wrong? I don't know. But I can tell you what depending on how you interacted with that lady, probably depending on how she treated you. Was she a bad person? No, she was a good person. To me, did that make one of us right? The truth was there on the way this person behaved. The truth was there. This other person had a different experience with her, but maybe it had something to do with that other person's personality. Maybe it had to do with the other person's circumstances. Some people can be nice to those who are friends and mean to those who are confrontational. 
But there is a truth about that woman and her behavior. And we were not, both of us was right. There is a truth somewhere in between. Six is not equal to nine. Even a small child can recognize that there are six triangles and that there are nine triangles, and that's not the same amount. There is a truth, there is a fact there. Now that picture I showed you, some people can say, yeah, that's a six. Some people can say, yeah, that's a nine. If you look at it to me, it could almost be a small g. But the fact is, there is a correct answer. There is truth. Truth is not relevant. Truth is not a byproduct of our perception. Now, can our perceptions, can our experiences, can our ideologies, can they focus and make us misseed? Yes. Can we be deceived by our own experiences and not see the truth? Yes. And we have to learn to push back past our perspectives and recognize the value of the truth. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Have you ever thought about buying the truth? You know, if the truth is not something that you can buy with money, you can't just say, oh, here, here's $100, tell me the truth. That's not how you buy the truth. You buy the truth through investigation, through study, through thought, through reading God's word if it's a spiritual truth, from finding out, from looking up the facts, from ensuring that you know what's really going on. And once you obtain that truth, don't sell it. Don't shortchange it. Don't trade the truth for an easy, convenient answer. Don't change the truth because it makes you feel better about a situation or it inspires you to go along with what you already believed. But buy the truth. Work to find out what is right and what is wrong. Work to find out what is true. Spend the mental energy, spend the mental effort to know what is correct because the truth is important. The truth is valuable. <clears throat> and it's good that we understand what is true. A lot of times, we'll want to, uh, we'll want to make up an answer. The other day we were at a gas station and they had all these large numbers in front of it, like 10 digits. And Kelly goes, Dad, why do they have all those digits? And I just made up an answer and gave it to her. And I told her I'd made up an answer after I gave it to her. It wasn't not necessarily true. But she didn't believe it as true either. It was just an answer I gave her, just to give her an answer. It could be the truth. It was a lot of assumptions. And sometimes I think we fall into that trap on lots of ways. We want to assume things are true because it makes sense to us. We want to go, oh yeah, this is true because that makes sense to me. Because it made sense. My answer was good. My answer was like some places have the currencies a lot less value. So you'd need a lot more digits to represent you know, the price of the gasoline. It, so it seemed like it made sense. But it was just guesswork. It was no real facts to that. I didn't know. It didn't really matter because I told her I was just guessing. But what about important things? Do we ever just assume somebody's thinking something? Do we ever just assume something's a certain way because we think that's the way it should be? Have we ever said, well, you know, I've had uh, problems with this person and I think they're up to no good. I think they're up to problems because I've had an issue with them before. I, you know... He said something and I didn't like it. Maybe he really meant harm by that. Have we ever done that? That's not the truth. 
That's using our assumptions. Acts chapter 17 and verse 10, it says, Brethren, immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night. You know what? I skipped ahead a little bit. Sorry. Acts 17 and 10, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scripture daily, whether they be whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed in an honorable women of the Greek and of men, not a few. Here these people did the right thing. They searched the scriptures daily to see if it was true. And it said they were honorable and they believed. They heard something that didn't fit their worldview. They heard something that didn't fit their experiences. They heard something that was new to them. And they didn't just say, okay, hey, that's great. I love something new. I believe it. These guys seem smart. Let's just believe them. Nope. That's not what they did. That they say, I don't believe it. I've never heard anything like that before in my life. I've lived my whole life. My dad told me this. That's not what my dad said. These guys can't be right, and they just rejected them. Nope. That's not what they did. They sought the scriptures daily to determine whether it was true. They bought the truth. They seeked out the truth. They determined if it was true by the scriptures, and the Bible said that they were more honorable. They earned honor by that. They're more noble. Sorry, they earned nobility by that than those in Thessalonica, these Bereans, because they were willing to work and buy the truth. Buying the truth takes effort, and it takes mental exhaustion, if you will. It takes mental effort. It takes effort. It takes thinking. It takes open-mindedness. It takes opening our hearts, opening our minds, and seeing what is there for real, not what we want to assume. And that's what I was talking about, the assumption part. Because we fall into that trap to assume. We fall into that trap to assume what is right. We fall into that trap to assume what others are thinking. We fall into that other trap that, that, that this is what I've known, this is what I've experienced. Let's assume that that's the way it is. But the Bible says we shouldn't be that way. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3 it says, If any man teach otherwise... And consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine according to the goodness, godliness, sorry. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, wherefore have come envy, strife, railings, and, and evil surmisings. So here's this person who's going about and he's causing problems. He's not wanting to recognize the wholesome words of God. He's not wanting to recognize the words of Jesus Christ. And what is he doing? He is proud, but he knows nothing. He's causing questions and strifes of words because he's just creating issues over words, creating issues over non-factors. And from that, he's got envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. Evil surmising is basically not giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. It's assuming the worst about somebody. It's going, you know, I think so-and-so meant something mean by what they said. It's like if somebody said, well, I like your dress. They go, well, I don't think they really like my dress. I think they were insulting me. Or if it some says something about, you know, good to see you or, or whatever. It's, it's to imply an evil intent when there was no evil deed shown. That's evil surmising. That is not the truth. That is not right. And that is something that we all have to be wary of. We all have to be wary of that. It's natural sometimes to fall into those kind of situations that we 
don't necessarily want to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. We don't necessarily want to assume somebody was right. We want to assume somebody was difficult. Assume that they had a secondary meaning in it. Maybe because of a past experience with them. Maybe with somebody a past experience in a similar job and a similar role. But that is not according to the gospel. That is not according to God's preaching. We are to not be evil surmisers. We are to not assume the worst in people. But instead, we are to assume the best. And why should we assume the best? Because that's what you want, right? When you deal with somebody, do you want them to second-guess your thoughts and motives? Do you say, well, wait a second, maybe you have an agenda. You know, when I, when I deal with people at work, I don't want them to go, hey, Steve may have another agenda. Maybe I shouldn't answer his question. or Maybe I shouldn't help him. I don't want that. When I deal with somebody in the church, when I deal with somebody at business, do I want people to give me the, the benefit of the doubt? Yes. You know, when I've gone to a restaurant and sometimes I've miscounted the, the cash, I want them to believe that I was telling the truth and fix it. You know, I'm not trying to steal from them. I want them to give me that benefit of the doubt. We want the benefit of the doubt. And we should give the benefit of the doubt. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, it says, Therefore all things whatsoever you would do that men should do to you, do even so to them that this is the law and the prophets. Do you want the benefit of the doubt? Then you should give the benefit of the doubt. We should not have these evil surmisings. We should not go about and go, I think somebody is thinking evil. I think somebody has a hidden agenda. I think somebody's up to no good. We shouldn't have that way in our dealings with our lives. I think it's human nature to kind of be defensive like that, but we should overcome our human nature and be godly and spiritual. Because those things and those things are not true. Those are our imaginations. Those are our thoughts. Just like my explanation to Kelly on why there were so many digits on that gas station pump, I really don't know. When we start trying to guess what people are thinking, we really don't know. We can see the works that they do. We can tell if their works are according to God's word. But beyond that, we cannot read the heart. And we should not attempt it. That's God's business. That's God's decisions. Now I would like to talk to you about something that is always true. And that is the word of God. Proverbs 30 and verse 5, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add not thou unto his word, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God's word is pure, and it is a shield to them that put in their trust. I know later on we're going to talk about a different shield, but God's word is a shield to us as well. It is a defense against us. It is a protection, and it is true. And it says... Do not add to his words. Do not change his words because he will reprove thee and you will be found a liar. We do not have the right, we do not have the authority to change the word of God, to fit our perspective, to fit the current philosophy of the times, to make people happy with us, to, to make people accept us, to make people think that we are friendly or kind or whatever you want to say. We can't change the word of God. The Word of God says what it says, and we have to hold true to that. I do not have the ability, the right, the authority to ever change the Word of God. And if I try to, I will be found a liar. God will not tolerate it. And so we must always hold to the truth that is the Word of God. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18, in completing the book of Revelation, the writer says, 
For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from these words of the book of prophecy, God shall take his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from all things that are written in this book. God is serious about not changing his word. We cannot admit the things we do not like. We cannot add things in it because we think it is more in tune to the times. It is more in tune to, to, to the, the current wind of popular opinion. We can't change it. The word of God is the word of God. It will stand the test of time. It will always be true. If you want truth and you want a truth that you built your life upon, go to the word of God. If you want a truth that will encumber you from the snares of this world, go to the Word of God. If we're going to be men of action, if we're going to be women of action, if we're going to gird our loins with truth, the truth we better grab first and foremost is the Word of God. We need to bind ourselves up with that. We need to secure ourselves with that so we are not entangled by the deceits of this world. We're not being tossed to and through by the new philosophies that you'll see in this world. But hold fast to the word of God. Because that is true. If nothing else is true, that is true. John 8 and verse 32, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, to those Jews who believed on him, If you continue my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered unto him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man, sayest thou, thou shalt be made free. And Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abide not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. So here Jesus tells these disciples that the truth shall set them free. And they're going, Well, we're already free. But the truth is, is they are not free. Because they were trapped in bondage to their sin. Jesus Christ and his plan of salvation will set us free. That is the truth. That is the way of salvation. That will set us free from our sins. That is the truth we should hold to. Because with that, we can have freedom from our sins. And without it, we will be trapped within our sins and we will no longer be free. John chapter 14 and verse 3, it says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into my house. That where I am, you have may, that ye may be also. And whether, ye, and whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither thou go, or how we can know the way. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh in my Father but by me. And if ye have known me, you should have known my Father also. And henceforth you know, henceforth you know him, and have seen him. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the truth if we want to be free from our sins we have to accept him through him we have freedom from our sins through him we have a life more abundantly we have a hope of eternal life we have to hold to his truth through him we know the father through him we have the path to the father and through him we have a passage into the kingdom we can be into the kingdom into the place where he goes to place of prayer the place that is prepared for us. And he is coming again, and he has came again to receive him. We can enter into that kingdom if we know Jesus Christ. If we know and understand his death, burial, and resurrection. If we are obedient to his death, burial, and resurrection in the form of baptism. 
we can have salvation. So if you have not been baptized tonight and you understand that you have sins and you understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in flesh, you understand that He is the way, the truth, into heaven. He is the way and the truth into the kingdom of God. We offer you that opportunity to come forth, accept Christ's invitation, be baptized, have your sins washed away, and become a child of God and become a member of His kingdom and of a promise of eternal life. We want to offer that invitation to you as we sing this song. Also, if you have a lot, if you have problems, if you have stress, you have issues, you have something you'd like to bring before the church, we have a responsibility and a privilege to go to our Heavenly Father and pray for one another, to be there for one another when they have difficulties in their life. And we want to offer that invitation as well as we sing this song.